This evening's reading is from 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, that we think, where am I? <laughs> and those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has anointed in the church, has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The word of the Lord. I think this passage is sort of funny 
coming from a guy who thinks that a woman's hair should be kept under a veil. Paul always has struck me as a little bit uptight, you know? I don't know, a little bit square, maybe? Like he's uncomfortable in his own skin, he's in his head a lot, he's squeamish about hair. And here he gets all graphic-like, talking all about bodily organs. I like to think of Paul writing about bodily organs. Organs, he writes repeatedly. Members. Every part of the body is utterly essential, he says. That's his point. He writes about our unpresentable parts, alluding, I presume, to breasts and genitals and the upper thigh. I like to think about Paul, Mr. It's better not for a man to ever touch a woman, thinking about the indispensability of the upper thigh. <laughs> Who would have guessed Paul even thought about smell? He's not a sensual type guy. He says if the whole body were an ear, then where would be the sense of smell? I like to think of Paul smelling. Maybe he liked to hang his head out over the rail on the boat on all his missionary journeys and smell the sea. Maybe he used to get up after everyone else was asleep and stand on the deck and smell the salt in the night air. Paul seems funny here to me. He's talking about the church, and he's comparing it to the body, and he says if the whole eye were a, I mean, if the whole body were an eye, don't you think that's funny to imagine? Think of it. If the foot said to the hand, a foot talking? That's inherently funny. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, I can just imagine Paul doing a little puppet show. The foot talking to the eye. The church is the body of Christ, he says. There are many organs, little ones, big ones, loud ones, hidden ones, and they're all essential. Some of us are nose hairs, toenails, eyebrows. The church needs all these things to function, to be the body, so be what and who you are and love it and each other and don't value one part over the other. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if the spinal cord is aligned properly, the whole body rejoices. I like that image a lot, the body. The individual body of Jesus wasn't walking around the earth anymore. Paul says now the church is his body. The church is the incarnation of Christ in the world. His body, walking around, doing stuff, feeling stuff, making things. The church embodies Christ. It's beautiful. And it's terrifying. And funny and frightening and weird and scary. Sometimes I think about the Pope's hat. Do you think about the Pope's hat ever? So big and fancy and all the rings and the big stick. The Pope carries a scepter. And he wears these fancy soft little shoes with curled up toes and tassels on them. Have you seen the shoes? I typed into Google, 
Why is the Pope's hat so large? <laughs> and the first answer I got, because he's hiding a chubacabra in it. <laughs> a little goat-sucking creature. I mean, I doubt it. Maybe. Or maybe it's because wearing a big, impressive hat is a way to say, I'm important. And the Pope is very important. And it's stupid and it's immature and disrespectful, disrespectful to make fun of the Pope. I just wonder if Paul ever expected the head of the body he's talking about to wear that hat. The church is the embodiment of Christ on earth. It's so silly sometimes. Paul says to the church, now you are the body of Christ. I can't believe that he really said that. I wonder if he'd take it all back now after he's seen how it's behaved for the last 2,000 years. The church can be so ridiculous and ugly and stupid and ludicrous and deceitful and greedy and self-important and mean and horrible. Conquistadors, inquisitors, witch hunters, homophobes, oppressive, repressive. The church is probably the single entity most responsible for the extermination of indigenous cultures throughout the world. The conquistadors? They'd come up upon these heathen tribes and they'd read what was called the requirement, except they said it in Spanish, which was sort of this decree or, state, decree or statement about how God, through St. Peter and his papal successors, hold authority as the rulers of the entire earth. And if the tribe, who probably didn't speak Spanish, said, okay, we'll become Christians, then they wouldn't hurt them. But if the tribe resisted, the requirement says, I quote, we will make war against you in all ways and manners and shall subject you to the yoke and obedience of the church. And we shall take your wife and your children and make slaves of them and dispose of them as their highness commands. And don't even Google medieval torture devices used by the church during the Inquisition. Or if you do Google this one, the Judas chair. It was to torture Jews who had been forced to convert to Christianity into admitting that they hadn't really converted, that they were secretly observing the Sabbath. John Calvin had Michael Cervetti's, a critic of his, burned alive. The Protestants murdered thousands of Catholics in Ireland for going to Mass. Don't you think that Paul might be going, um, I take that back. It doesn't seem possible that the church embodies Christ on earth. Or at least, at the very least, it seems like we should be cutting off some of those hands. Dismembership seems like the right idea. God gets a body so our stories go, a human body, a normal one, one with teeth and pores, a body full of bacteria and shit and phlegm. God becomes incarnate in the world in this way, 
in a body. It's a story that almost always seems offensive. God, whatever God, is sullying God's self with the human body. I really like to think of the ancient church fathers, who I think were probably a little prudish and misogynist. I like to think of them having to deal with what offended them about the incarnation. The mother's womb, the birth, it bugged them. They argued. They couldn't believe it. Marcion insisted that the incarnation was beneath God's dignity. Tertullian writes treatises in response. The Christian story is that God became fully human. He argues for it. He knows it's essential to the gospel, but it clearly disgusts him. Start with the birth itself, he writes. An aversion, the filth within the womb of the bodily fluid and blood and the loathsome curdled lump of flesh, which has to be fed for nine months of this same muck, the womb. I like the womb. I like that these men couldn't escape it. But I am a little disgusted thinking of the patriarchal muck out of which the church was born the filthy lumps of empire fed for centuries off the same curdled hunger for power. Paul proclaims the implications of the incarnation of Christ in the world. He says to the church, now you are the body of Christ. That so ramps up the scandal for me. I can barely accept it. Those bowels are so full of crap. I like to think about a God becoming fully human in Jesus Christ, how it overturns the very idea of God, exploding our notions of the sacred and power and purity. I love to think of God incarnate, the almighty God sucking at his mother's breast, unable to even hold his head up. God incarnate being hungry and tired and needy. I don't feel offended by that, but I'm offended by the church. Not us, of course. I like us. I like you. I like this body and all its parts. I have no problem thinking that we need all the organs that you are. That this is a place for every one of us. Spleen, booger, sciatic nerve, I don't care. Everything you do or are, you belong here. We belong here together. This church, of course, we're not perfect. We're all messed up people trying to make something together, love each other. We're a broken body. I love you. We're the body of Christ together. That seems like a beautiful proclamation. But... Pat Robertson? Cut off that hand, man. Evangelical sergeants in the United States military, I read this, distribute Christian apocalyptic videos to the troops in Iraq, impose mandatory briefings on the correlation of the war in Iraq to the book of Revelation. Cut off that foot. Or that gangrene might spread. Maybe they simply haven't drunk of the spirit of Christ. 
I'd like to say that. I like parts of the church. I like the breast and the brain and the ears and the aisles, eyes, but I feel like, couldn't we get rid of the testosterone? The muscle? It's caused so many freaking problems. Paul was writing this letter to a culture that wasn't crazy about the body, the material world. Gnosticism was super popular in Corinth. Everywhere, really, it always is. The material world can suck. So people have always been creating religions and philosophies, whatever, that are about escaping it. Bodies get messed up. Bodies get sick. People have always wanted some truth that would save them from the body. The spirit transcends the flesh. What's essential is what's spiritual. The body is not essential. But the Judeo-Christian tradition is about a God who creates, sustains, inhabits, redeems the material world. Creation. Humans, people, the church, actually, every dirty little part of it. It's really a pretty astounding claim. Paul writes this letter because there were people in the church saying other people in the church weren't acceptable. God was with them, inhabiting their corner, but not that other corner. God with us not with them. People were saying, I belong to this part, this philosophy, this apostle, not that one. I don't belong to what they belong to. I want to say I belong to the House of Mercy. I belong to James Allison. I belong to Bart. I belong to Aviva. I belong to an intelligent, liberal, peace-loving church. I don't belong to the evil people church. We're good, but they're bad. That God is manifest in a physical body is essential to the Judeo-Christian faith. It's also the most scandalous thing imaginable, God incarnate. Paul looks at this divisive, squabbling, messed-up church, and he says, Now you are the body of Christ. You are one in Christ Jesus. He's a wild man. It's enough to take your breath away. Seems like it could make you sick. Paul says that we can't separate ourselves out. The head can't say to the asshole, get out of here. We don't need you. Because the asshole belongs. I think he could be saying that Pat Robertson is my brother. He's saying what the church is called to do is to love each other, and not just the people you like. God is with and in and for the whole freaking world. Paul says earlier in his letter that God chose what is foolish in the world. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Paul says God chose us, all of us actually, sick and beautiful and broken people, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, desert mystics, evangelical sergeants, 
bishops, I hate to say it, but conquistadors and inquisitors. He seems to think it's important that we love each other, in spite of how horrible we or they behave. He thinks that's what Jesus taught us. Paul says God chose us, all of us. Of course it's not because of how good and clean and superior we are. It's reason to be floored by the love of God. Paul seems outrageously confident that we will manifest that love. Probably because he experienced the love of God that knows no boundaries. I don't know. Christ took on his body, in his body, the sins of the world. They weren't even his. But he took them into his body, and he suffers it all. As if it were all his own, he makes it his own. We aren't Christ, but what does it mean to say that we are now the body of Christ in the world? We've been, made to free, we've been made free to love like Christ loved. Most of the time we don't act like we're free to do that. I don't. But what if we did? Little more than we do. Love your enemy, Jesus says. Be merciful as God is merciful. It seems sort of crazy to take the body of Christ into us. To eat the body that took on the sin of the world? What does that taste like? And to eat it with all the sinners all over time and space, to participate in this meal that the Pope eats and George Bush probably ate, and all the bad priests and all the beautiful ones and Paul and Pat and Bob, to become in this way a part of the body of Christ. It seems crazy, but I believe somehow that I don't understand that it will make love in us and that it will make mercy in us. I know I need it.